Hi, welcome to the Neshamas podcast. We at Neshamas are on a mission to promote mental and emotional health within our community. Among the many ways we do this is by empowerment through education. This podcast is where we get to listen to personal experiences of those who have been affected by mental illness, the pain, the struggle to get better, and today, by the grace of God, have emerged with a message of hope and healing. My name is Moshe Khanen. I am a grateful addict in recovery, and I am a certified life and addiction recovery coach. I'm here to encourage vulnerability and allow for hope to emerge from the internal journeys we share. Please join me, hear the stories of these heroes, and know that you are not alone. Hi, welcome back to the Nishamas podcast. Today, we are very honored to have a good friend, Schneer Lakin, grew up in Crown Heights. He's 30 years old, grew up in Crown Heights, lives currently in Miami. He is a powerhouse. He is one of the most motivated person, people that I know. Um, he's an entrepreneur. Um, I would say a majority of his life is focused on self-development and how he could improve himself as a human being. He has a short story to share. He actually, in the past, I encourage you if you haven't seen it yet, uh, has shared his uh, a big chunk of his story with our community by a Nishamas event, the first event. And I encourage you to go check it out. I think it'll enhance your experience here with this podcast. But without further ado, welcome, Snare. Thank you much. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, so can you um, just share with us for a moment um, yeah, why you're here? Why do you want to do this? Um, I, first and foremost, it's definitely to to share and to to make a difference as I can. Mm-hmm. I think that when um, I was dealing with adversity and challenges, um, I kind of I felt like I was uh, dealing with it on my own and that nobody could relate to me. And then through sharing and speaking with others, I realized that a lot of others were dealing with either, whether, whether it was the same um, situation or not, they were dealing with adversity as well. And um, we all felt like we were dealing with it alone. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, to make a difference and share. And then hopefully there's somebody who, who can hear this and it'll make a difference for them in their life. Awesome. Thank you, Schneer. And um, yeah, Schneer is going to share with us a little bit. I'm not sure. I mean, we're kind of, being open to what the conversation is going to bring us to, but Schneer has been through a lot and he's come out um, a really an incredible human being, which uh, I admire and I just wanted to share him with you. So Schneer, can you just bring us in a little bit about, um, just describe to us what it was like growing up in Crown Heights, the early years? Sure, absolutely. So um, my childhood is slightly, slightly fuzzy. Um, a lot of my childhood memories are, are kind of you know gone. Don't, I, don't, I don't remember a big chunk of my childhood. But um, I just remember it being kind of heavy, um, heavy and dark. Um, there were some, obviously, some great moments, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, you know, wasn't a walk in the park. Um, I remember, I, at least like as a kid growing up, my my, mom, my mother passed away when I was three, and I think one of the hardest things for me was seeing my friends with their parents, and I'd come home and I'd be like, why don't I have uh, a mom at home? And um, it didn't, it kind of, it took me a while until I got a bit older for it to kind of settle in. But that was kind of like the, um, the my reality as a, as, as a kid um, growing up. What'd you do with those questions? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, 
Well, I mean, I would, I would, I would ask my my father. Honestly, he 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 didn't he wasn't very expressive. Um, so he he didn't really talk about my mother a lot. It was almost like uh, like she kind of disappeared. Uh, there were like a few photos of her in the house, but that's about it. And I would speak to my grandmother about it a little bit. Um, I just remember, and anytime I I touched on the subject, it was like I I just just bawl my eyes out. Um, it was like a really really yeah sensitive and sore subject. Are there any like conclusions that you came to like? Watching your friends, having parents, oh, I, I, you know, why can't I have this? And therefore, something. Like yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, to me, it was like I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just doing this alone. That was it. It was like uh, it's a big, it's a big, big bad world out there, and um, I just need to figure out, I need to figure it out on my own. And um, that's that's kind of like what growing up kind of stuck with me. It was like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't need anybody, and I'm gonna do it on my own. Um, like you can't rely on anybody, and. Um, my mother, like, and as a child, the the way it occurred to me was that I was like abandoned, mm. um, and through that lens, it was like uh, if my mother will abandon me, then other people will abandon me, and I can't rely on anybody. Wow! And I got to do it alone. Does that mean you have to put so much energy into maintaining and and working and and like literally can't rely on anybody? Yes. Yeah. Can Absolutely. you give us some examples of? of how you saw that behavior come out and that belief. Sure. I mean, it started with like uh, the, t like in regards to teamwork, you have to, you have to trust others. You have to be able to delegate to others. Um, and I wasn't able to, to do that. Um, it was more just like, I would just take it on my back and, you know, go, go, go the distance. Um, whereas I could have gone a lot further or a lot quicker with others, with others' help uh, and bringing others into the, uh, into the equation. So that's like in the professional, like once you became professional, or is that even like earlier? Even earlier, I'd say. Um, I mean, like as friends, if I was planning a trip, I would just do it, do it all by myself. I, wouldn't, I couldn't, wouldn't ask like a friend if they could, uh, you know, plan a certain part of the trip. I made sure I did it all along, uh, you know. Um, yeah. Are you remembering that right now? Yeah. <sighs> was it exhausting? Like you had to yeah, stay abso up absolutely late exhausting. At night absolutely and exhausting. And I, I think um, a big part of it also was the 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 inability to ask for help. And that's kind of like I think that was the like the kicker. The really like not just am I going to do it by myself, but I'm not I'm not going to ask for help. And that that that, that covered like all spectrums. Um, it's like a protection from that disappointment. Yes, exactly. And what that turned into was like this massive mountain that I was just carrying on my back um, that I was unaware of. And uh, it's a mountain that, you know, if you can't see, um, that's a mountain that I couldn't see, but that I was carrying around uh, regardless. How did, when did you realize that it was like a mountain that you're carrying with you? Um, I think it was when I was maybe, tw when I was 20. You know, actually, when I finished the military, um, when I finished the army, when I was 23 years old, it was I think the first time I went. Um, I did any type of therapy. Um, you did therapy after post post the military, yeah. Post how long were you in the military for? Uh, two and a half years. You did a full two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. And um, okay, so what got you to come to therapy? I I, I realized that I had uh, limitations. That my my communication was very very short, uh, very very closed off. Uh, couldn't, I couldn't be vulnerable with anybody unless they were like a really, really close friend of mine. Um, if you asked me how I was doing, it was really just one, two words. It, it, it yeah, I, I could not, um, I just, yeah, I had a very hard time being, being vulnerable at all in, in any situation. 
So what happened as a result of you not being vulnerable? Was there like, what was that experience? Like what told you that that was not okay? It, it just, it just felt, I just felt very constricted. Um, like I wasn't expressed at all. Like I had no self, no, no, no self-driven self-expression. Hmm. I'm assuming, and just tell me if, if I'm correct or like, if you can expand on this idea of when I can't express, I can't love. When I can't express, I can't really have deep, you know, long-term meaningful relationships that um, I invest in and I grow with. And, and as a result of that, I end up feeling, experiencing life alone. Correct. Yeah. Um, and I would, cause I, cause I could see others doing it and I couldn't do it myself. So it was, mm -hmm. it was like, uh, I was like, you know, I, I knew that there was something I needed to deal with. I knew that I had, I kind of had trauma and, and healing that I, that I, um, that I needed to do, but I didn't, I hadn't, I hadn't really taken any action at that point to, to deal with it. Um, so that was like the start of it when I was 23. Um, it wasn't until I was tw maybe 26 that I did a self-development workshop that kind of like just kicked the doors down. Um, yeah, I mean, going back to, 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 to childhood, it all comes back to, to how, at least from, from my perspective, how we view ourselves. And for me, um, I saw myself as like a, like a lone survivor, you know, as like the, the lone warrior. I was like, I'm just going to do it, get it done. Um, and when I... Um, when I realized the way I, I saw myself, um, I had the ability to then go ahead and let go of those, uh, those, you know, limiting beliefs of myself. This conclusion of, I have yeah. to do it on my own yeah. is going to play itself out. So yes, yeah. it's going to work because it's going to make sure that I don't get hurt and I yeah. can get stuff done. Yeah. But I can't what do people what do people see when they look at you? Yeah. You know? Do they notice something's wrong? No. Do you you know, like so so what are the consequences? Like why wouldn't you stay like that? I know this sounds like a silly question, but um you know, it's, it's obviously something that at a certain point you're yeah. like, okay, I can't continue on like this. Yeah. No, I, I, it was like relationships and, uh, and, um, what did people see when you were seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven? 10, yeah, 11, quiet, very quiet. I didn't, didn't, I, I didn't feel, uh, alive. Didn't feel expressed. Didn't feel, you know, I mean, if you ask my sister, she tells you, she said, like, as a kid, I barely spoke, you know, when I was younger, very, very quiet. Um, and I think it, a part of that comes down to, to, um, to abandonment. It's this idea of uh, every child experiences abandonment in, in some, in some form or another, right? Um, for some, and what I mean by that is you can even, it could just be that it took an hour until your parent, your, your parent picks you, picks you up and the kid's like, okay. Um, uh, cause as a child, we're all, we're, we're egocentric. We're, we're, we're entirely, you know, um, our entire, um, uh, what's the word? Survival? Yeah. No, as, as a kid, you, you're only thinking about yourself. You haven't, you haven't developed yet the ability to think about others. It's all like, everything is about you, right? And it, it's, it's from you and about you. So you think that, oh, it's because of me that it took my parents an hour to pick me up uh, or it took, me, it took them an, an hour to, to feed me or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the time was. 
So that's how a child, you know, will experience abandonment in, in some, some small form. And then there's others um, for like, like my, my case. So I think as a kid, I developed this, this thing that my mother left because of, because of something I did. Right? And I don't want to be abandoned. Wow. Um, that's so, a lot to carry. Yeah. A child sees it as, as, it's, their, as it's, it's their doing. Everything that happened is uh, because of them, for them, et cetera. So if I don't cry anymore, then I won't be abandoned anymore. Okay. And if I don't make any noise... It was obviously because I was crying and making noise that I got that I that, that I was abandoned. It was obviously because of some an action that I took. So let me not do that action, and I won't be abandoned, right? Um, and that plays out in you know a bunch uh, across a, a bunch of different platforms where you're like subconsciously you're not stand you're not speaking up, you're not standing up, you're not doing what you should be doing out of a fear. Can you give me you, any examples of of things that you would have stood up for yourself or you would have called out that um, you didn't? I remember just as a kid, like hearing, like uh, hearing, let's say my siblings uh, speak about me or hearing my father talk to one of my brothers or sister about me and I'd be right there. And I remember just like, instead of like interjecting something, I, I remember just being like, look, just, just, just let it wash over you, you know, kind of just like make as if you're not here. Um, make as if, yeah. If I don't say anything, they're not going to realize I'm, I'm listening, uh, et cetera. Because if they um, know that I'm listening, then what? Um, maybe they, they, they won't love me. Maybe they, you know, they'll, they'll stop, they'll stop uh, communicating with me. I don't know. Wow, but it was just yeah this 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 idea that if I stay small, um, you know, people won't leave me. So being left is that that's the most painful thing for a child, yeah. Schneer, can you just describe to us a little bit uh, more about what it was like uh, as a teenager or as a, you know elementary, high school? Sure, sure. So I. Um, the school I was in through fifth grade um, had like big had big classes, and uh, it was tough for me to to connect to the to the curriculum and the teachers. Um, I got detention a lot. Um, yeah, I just remember not not really not enjoying it at all, not not wanting to be there. Uh, and fifth fifth grade was like the the was kind of like the the last. Fifth grade was my last year in that school, and and throughout the year I like got detention almost every every day, every other day. What type of behaviors was it? Um, uh, I just I, I I was just acting out. I didn't want to be there. Wouldn't listen. Wouldn't would come late to class. Stay would stay late by by recess. I just really didn't want to be there. So it wasn't like you were like disrespectful and disruptive. Maybe a little classroom. bit, but not not okay. massively. Um, okay. But um, it wasn't wasn't working out. And my father, seeing that it wasn't working out, um, tried to put me into another school, but um, uh, they, they, they heard I was like a troubled student or whatever. They didn't, they didn't accept me. So he went ahead and created Darchem um, Menachem for me for sixth grade. Um, and what I, comes up when you think about that concept? The fact that he did that for you. That's incredible. Incredible. I mean, as an as an as an adult, I really as as a child, I didn't really kind of. It was like, oh, that's cool. But now I, I really get the 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 actual the, the actual effort that that took, and and the incredible like what it take. He, my father saw me failing in school and said, hey, you know what? I I want to do. I want to I'm going to take an action that's going to make a big difference. And um, what does that mean to you today? Like, I, I I'm just I don't know when I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, this is what. A devoted father is well, you know, somebody who's willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah, kid, absolutely. You know, and how much? Uh, my father loved me massively, and and it's funny because growing up, I I felt kind of I felt 
entirely not entirely but i felt very alone and and uh you know i had nine other siblings and, and my father and i didn't feel like i got a lot of, a lot of attention and love and um there, there's actually something i heard from from a mentor of mine he was speaking with his wife and they were talking about um love languages right and the the idea like how we we how in, in a relationship or or in a friendship or whatever you you when you understand another person's love language you have the ability to to cater to them Mm-hmm. And when you understand also that your love language may not be the same as someone else's love language, you can actually realize that someone can love you dearly, but to you, it may not show up as love because you're, you're speaking two different languages. And I get that from my father. My education and my upbringing was of the utmost importance to him. And that was, it was a massive show of his love for me to, to create this school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost ridiculous to think, be like, oh yeah, you know, I didn't, didn't feel loved as a kid, but we all read things differently. And that's based on how the, you know, the, the lens with, with which we view the world. Um, I get now that that was a massive show uh, of what love and support. What was the experience and, back then though? Uh, it, was, uh, it was amazing, honestly. Um, my brother-in-law was also my principal, which was great. Um, uh, classes were smaller, school was great. Um, and uh, it absolutely changed uh, my, my, uh, my experience in school growing up. Is there anything you can look back at from that experience alone that helped you in the way you look at yourself and, and you know, your outlook or your perception of the world, life, any of that? I mean, of that experience in and of itself, um, it's hard to say. I mean, for me, it was, it was, again, it was when I was 25, uh, 26. I did a you know, transformational um, workshop. And that really, really changed the way um, I view myself, I view the world. Um, I mean, I'd love to hear about that. The only, yeah. the only reason why I'm asking it now is because I imagine that, you know, I, I've gone through that experience of going from yeah. school to school to school and finding the place where you feel, uh, or at least for me, like, once I got to a place where I went to yeshiva and I felt like, wow, this is my place. My, all of my confidence came, you know, showed up and being part of and all those types of things. So that's why I figured, you know, I'd ask you, I wonder. Yeah, what- no, it's true. I have some, some of my best friends today are from that school. Um, and uh, I, I definitely, it, 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 it taught me a lot. Um, it was the first time I, like, I, I felt really accepted in, uh, in an educational system. Oh wow! Um, yeah, a part of instead of like a part in, in 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 it, but a part of it, a part a part from it. Um, so yeah, definitely did play a big role in uh, in my childhood. Beautiful. Um, what do you think was the element that that school had that really contributed to that acceptance? Uh, it's, it's kind of like if I could sum it up in one word. Uh, like each, 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 each kid is unique. Um, what did you see kind of, that told you that? My, my, my brother-in-law. Can you remember anything specific he said or did? Um, I mean, just the way the, we, we ever would like, they, we catered, the school catered to each kid individually. Um, and if you, if a certain curriculum wasn't working for you, then they created another curriculum for you. Um, we did a lot of outdoor activities. We did a lot of uh, activities as a group. Um, and 
Yeah, it was it was focused on on, on the children. It wasn't a it wasn't a, a cookie cutter uh, experience at all. It was very it was very unique and very individualized. So what you're telling me is what the school was like. Yeah. What I'm asking more specifically is what do you recall seeing that helped you feel accepted? Do you remember anything specific that somebody pulled you aside and told you something or something that you noticed? You know, I actually, I learned how to, how to write in English uh, in seventh and eighth grade. Uh, at, at Darchem and Achem. And um, I learned how to write in caps in uh, seventh grade. And then in eighth grade, I learned how to write in, um, in um, cursive. <laughs> in script or in, silly, like in small. Yeah. <laughs> how do you even say it? Um, in lowercase. And my teacher was, uh, his name was Heskel Barnett. And he taught me, he sat down with me and he really, really, he, I decided I know how to write and he taught me how to write bit by bit. He sat there, he sat with me every day and taught me how to write. Um, and I actually saw him on the streets of Crown Heights two years ago. I bumped into him and I, I saw him across the street. I walked up to him and I said, hey, Eskel, how are you? He's like, do you remember me? And he's like, yeah, sure. Um, and I said, listen, I don't know if you remember this, but you taught me how to, how to write in lowercase uh, and you made a massive difference in my life. And I'll never forget that uh, at the age of 14. And he was like, wow, you know, like he, he I'm sure, I don't, I don't know whether he remembered, he, ta- he taught me that or not, but that definitely played a big part in um, my education. Was it just that he taught you or was it something he did? No, in the way no it was taught? no matter where, I, I mean, I was, I was holding in, you know, on a second grade level of, uh, of, of in English studies and he, he, he brought it up to, to an eighth grade level. They sat down every day and helped me bring up my, um, yeah, my education. Was there any something specific that he was, let's say, for example, I don't know, I imagine that to do something like that, you have to be extremely patient. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely very patient. Um, and there was just a big listening, I'd say. That's what it was. It was a really, really good listening for the students. Um, it wasn't like, you're going to do what I say or, or else. Um, because every kid had their own, you know, had, was, was at their own level individually. Um, so there was definitely a lot of listening going on. Can you tell us more about what it was like as a teenager until the time you? Sure. So I definitely I wanted to get out of Crown Heights. That was one thing that was um, like uh, sure for me. So I went to um, a yeshiva high school. Um, I was there for two years. Um, what years were that? That was what the ages? that was the age of sixteen, uh, fifteen, and sixteen. Mm-hmm. So it, was, it wasn't a bad school. Um, you know, the, it was a bit remote, but one thing that really stuck out to me was the, like, um, they were really particular about how, how we, how we dressed kind of like it was, they were very, very, um, particular about having, you know, your tits at your side, trip tucked in, et cetera. Um, rather than like, actually like that was, that was more important than rather if the students were like, um, you know, what, what, what they were dealing with or if they're happy. And it was, it, was, mm. it felt very much, um, uh, like just do, just do the work rather than like being uh, in, involved in it. And uh, um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't really, it didn't land very well with me. I wonder how that was. Yeah, I imagine, I can only imagine what that was like uh, in contrast to where you were coming from. Yes, exactly. Uh, it didn't, it, yeah, I, I just remember feeling very, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, just didn't sit well with me. And I, I left uh, before the end of the second year. I left like Pesach time, didn't go back. Um why didn't you stay in Darkim Menachem? 
Uh, dark Manachman, they didn't have Amasifta at the time. Right, okay. They ended so at, had to find ended eighth grade, exactly. Right. Um, and I remember leaving after, yeah, not not finishing, um, not finishing tenth grade, kind of leaving in the leaving leaving Pesach time and not coming back for about eight months. I was in just in Crown Heights, not really doing much. Um, <laughs> uh, it was like I, I kind of dropped out of school at that point. I wasn't sure if I was going to go back or what I was going to do. Um, I was sixteen at the time. And I had heard um, some friends of mine were telling, had gone to a school called uh, Base Menachem in, um, in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. And I heard about that and I said, you know what, I think I'll, I'll give that a try. So I interviewed and they accepted me and I went there uh, Hanukkah time. So I dropped out of school in Pesach and I went back to school in um, Hanukkah, the, Hanukkah the following year. Were you keeping busy throughout all that time? I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm next to nothing. Just kind of like, stay, uh, really, honestly, like just staying up all night, uh, sleeping till two, three in the afternoon, um, just burning time. Did, did anybody have a problem with that? Uh, <laughs> no, my father just kind of like accepted that I dropped out of school. He was like, okay, you know, that's it. Uh, you dropped out. Um, and um, that was it. I mean, yeah, I really, really, really didn't do much over, over the course of that, like eight months. Mm-hmm. Um. So Hanukkah time, that was like once the school year had already started. School year had already started. Yeah, it was two, three months earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to Beis Menachem. And that was actually uh, an incredible, incredible time that I had there. That was probably the best, other than other Darche Menachem, that was the best school I've, I've ever been to. Um, and again, there, I guess the, the for me, like the, the, the key there was acceptance. And it was just like, they taught with, uh, with love rather than, um, rather than like... Um, do this or else it was everything was with love tons of acceptance there were there weren't very many rules um but everything they did there was was with a love for god and, and i actually i i uh, attribute the my love for god and the fact that i'm not angry uh, at god which i i had a lot of that growing up to 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 um to base to um base Menachem in wilkesbury and the teachers there hmm. Are there any things like memories that you can remember that helped you come to the conclusions that, that these people accept me? Sure. Yeah. The, <laughs> this is one of my one of my like favorite memories. There, I remember I uh, I grew a beard for Sphira, and then I cut it afterwards, like the like the day after uh, after Shavuos. And um, the the one like the mashpia there, his name was uh, Pinya Levit, and he mm-hmm. um, he came to wake me up for for Chassidus in the morning. And when he came to wake me up, he saw I didn't have a beard. So he went, ah, he said, yesterday your beard grew out, today your beard grew in, you know, with a smile on his face. Um, and uh, it was just like, it was, it was almost comical, but, it, you know, it wasn't like, oh, what did you do? You're going to burn or whatever. It was just like, ah, okay, this is, it is what it is, you know? And um, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. Like they, they really, really, they actually, they cared for the kids. They're like the, the, you know, the, the teachers there had a real, real um, uh, love of teaching. And for making a difference for the kids there, and it was a, it was beautiful, beautiful to be there. For me, I think I, what's so important to the message that I'm getting is that the reaction to you doing your thing, right? Um, from switching it from being like critical to being humorous and loving is what shaped your relationship to God up yeah, until today. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I think up until that point, it was mostly taught uh, and reinforced in a way of um, 
you know, these, these are the actions and these are the consequences. You know, you don't take this ac- action, this is the consequence. Um, it was very much a, a carrot and stick. You know, uh, you do this, yeah, you're, you know, you'll get, a, you know you, you get this. And if you don't do this, then you get that. Um, which works in, in some cases, but for me, it didn't. And here there was no carrot or stick. It was just, hey, you know, we're, we're here in service of God. Uh, and it was all through love. And um, I think that that, and that really stuck with me. How long did you stay in Wilkesbury for? Uh, a year. I was there from Hanukkah, and then I went back for, for that whole year, and then I went back the next year until Sukkot. Um, and then after Sukkot, I flew to, um, to Israel. How old were you? I was 18. So that's when you had already decided you're going to the... So no, I, I hadn't, at that point, I, I, yeah, it was, in, it was in my mind to join, to, to join the, the army, but I hadn't, uh, hadn't chose, like, fully, fully committed to it yet. Uh, when I got to Israel, that was kind of like what made my decision, being there and seeing the soldiers and hanging out with them. Um, it was in my first year uh, in Israel in 2008. Um, it was actually 2007, 2008, when um, there, was the, there was an operation in Gaza, and I had some friends that went in uh, and seeing what went on, and that kind of like, that solidified my decision to, to say, okay, you know what, when, when I'm done school, um, I'm going to enlist. No, so you were in Wilkes-Barre for 2007-2008? No, Wilkes-Barre at the beginning of 2007, up until Sukkot, I was in, in Wilkes-Barre, and then after Sukkot, I flew to Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the war happened three or four months later. It was like, uh, it was like literally started like over New Year's. Um, what was the purpose of your visit to Israel? Uh, school. To yeshiva. Was it the rap? Oh, no, uh, CRC. Oh, CRC. Oh, CRC, yeah. Yeah, been there. Yeah, so I went to, to CRC for, for two years. That was also a really good school. Uh, they were also very accepting. Um, you know, I actually did half a smicha there, two out of four tests. Nice. <laughs> um, but then it was, it was there. I was in my, in my second year there. Also being there and traveling the country, I really developed a, a love for the land. And I said, you know what, I, this is something that I, uh, and that actually helped me in my service was me being there and seeing it. And I didn't just show up and say, hey, you know, this is just an idea and let me just sign up and go do it. Um, you know. So I, um, uh, in my second year, I said, I, I, I had a choice. It was like, it was around, also around Pesach time. And I remember if I wanted to finish Smicha, I'd have to be there for another year. And I, I wasn't interested in finishing and I wanted to, and I didn't want to go back to Crown Heights. So I, I remember the phone call. I called my father up and I was like, Ta, um, I'm not going to finish Smicha and I am joining the army. God. and he he just said okay uh no problem but when you finish school you know you're gonna be you're gonna be on your own financially and i said okay no problem that was the that was our like uh that was our um our deal oh my god (laughs) talk about dropping a bomb yeah i was like instead instead of of two bombs i was like i'll I'll do it once one big bomb get it over with um and uh, just let it let it be um and, uh, and that was it. And then from at that point, I was just uh, learning Hebrew, preparing for the army, uh, made Aliyah. I became a citizen in September 2009, and I drafted in May 2010. Um, so in that time, I was just getting ready um, and, and, and learning Hebrew. How did your self-concept and self-image play, play out throughout that process? A part of me was like, I, 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 I wanted to be a fighter. And that was like, it was, a, it was a big drive for me to kind of prove to myself that, uh, that I had it in me to, to be a fighter and to, and to, to kind of push, push myself to, to my limits. Was that part of the whole, like, I can be on my own, like I don't yes, need anybody? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. 
Um, That's your training, like even and, more. Let me take it to advanced level of being yes, independent. Exactly. And and wow. When I got when I when I got into the army, I drafted to um, I drafted to to the Golani Brigade, and I got into a, a special unit called the Guz, right, which is like a specialized uh, counter Hezbollah, you know, unit. And I served there for about seven months, and um, I got dropped. And when they dropped me, it's funny. My officer told me he's like one of the reasons that you got dropped was your. Um, in Hebrew, it's a like gibush with, with the with, with the with with the guys. And I was like, "What do you mean? I'm good with most of the people." Like, yeah, he's like, "You're good with some people, but you're not good with everybody." And to be part of a team, you have to work with the entire team as a whole. You have to you have to mold mm. to the team. Well, it's like a carbon um, copy of. Um, of I have my friends. I can be vulnerable with my friends, but everybody else, everybody else, is, everybody else is on the outside. Exactly. And to me, that didn't make any sense. I was like, "What do you mean? Like, I I can carry, I can run, I can you know, I can do all this stuff." Um, wow. So you had all the physical capacity, but not the 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 social and emotional. Social and emotional, exactly. And the emotional also was the the it. I remember just constantly they they never let you sit down, so they never let you stop. You know, your training there is like nonstop all day, and they purposely get you into a state of fight or flight all day. Um, and they do it to kind of like push on the um to to they they do it to to for to get you into it to, to get me into a place of um. Where they're kind of pushing in on, on the uh, on the weak points and seeing if you crack. Mm. Um, and for me, I was just so emotionally burdened at the time because I I didn't have uh, like I call it like an, an emotional like recycling system. I didn't couldn't recycle emotions. I couldn't let go of things. Um, and it just like it would just weigh down on me. I remember it just like it was like this massive weight on my brain, you know. And it just the 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 constant stress, constant being constant being in a state of fight or flight, which up until that point I, I hadn't realized I was in for a big big part of my life. Even uh, I was in a state of fight or flight, and it was very easy for, for me to be there um, to trigger to trigger that. Just like you know, in one second I'm I'm fine, and then all of a sudden I feel this massive um, adrenaline, you know. Uh, uh, adrenaline rush on my chest, my eyes would go dry, I'd get all edgy, uh, and I had no idea what it was. And um, how did you deal with that? Like, what was your reaction to that? I, I just, I just pushed through, you know. But it, it got heavier and heavier, and that that delayed my reaction time, uh, and it made it harder for me to to obviously obviously complete uh, training with them. Um, at the time, I didn't get it, and now I now I obviously do. So how did you like what what happened? What was your reaction to that of not being accepted? Um, being so yeah, out? I got dropped. It was kind of kind of devastating. Um, I had this dream to be. How do you in say a, the words "kind of" and "devastating"? It was it was it was devastating. Okay, um, it was devastating, and uh, <laughs> I had a dream at, uh, to 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 serve in an elite unit in the Israeli army, and, and I got into it, and I didn't I didn't finish training, and to me it was like oh you know like almost like life is over for for a little bit. Wow. Um, but I went from there to serve in uh, the regular infantry in Golani. But what was? The, just tell me, what were the weeks after that? Like, what happened? I, it was shock for for a few weeks. I was just really um, just on, like they, they, I was just on base, not you know, kind of like dealing with myself because How'd you deal? How'd you deal? Um, I, I went back to my original purpose. And my purpose was I was like I want to I want to be a fighter, and I said I can still be. So they they gave me a choice. I could either stay uh, in the unit, but but as a combat support, not be a, not be a fighter, stay be be combat support, but stay in the unit, 
Um, and they had this big, beautiful base and, you know, great food or whatever, or, or really, I mean, like in Israeli <laughs> it's so army, funny it's a big yeah, deal. That's even like a big no, deal. They had like a really, really good um, um, uh, menu over there, like a really good uh, <laughs> it making it sound like, okay, I'm going on vacation. Yeah. So I want to get like, the better hotel. This, this was, is not. Really? They were like, Yo, you, you'll, 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 get off, you'll get off every week. You know, you'll eat great food. You'll, you know, life will be easy. There'll just be support. Or you go to the regular infantry, which is a, it's a lot harder. You're not eating great food at all. Um, you're in small little outposts. Um, you know, you're, 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 you know, you don't, the gear isn't as good. You're, you're basically at that point, you're, 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 you're a grunt. You're a regular, you know, infantry soldier. Um, and uh, I went back and I said, like, I, I, in the beginning, I was there for a couple of weeks. And um, I went back to my original purpose, which was to be a fighter. And I said, I can still be a fighter and I can still make a difference. Just Here, like, get back in touch, like, why do I have to be a fighter? Um, at the, I didn't. I I felt like it was that like my service was incomplete, and if I would have uh, just stayed there, it would have been comfortable. I could have rolled out the rest of my service. Um, I had a little under two years left, and I could have done it in you know in comfort. But I said, this, that's not what I came here for. That's not what I came here for. I felt very very incomplete. Um, but why'd you have to be a fighter? What does it mean? A fear of mine was to be seen as as weak, you know, as vulnerable, mm-hmm. and um, I needed to, to 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 not just prove to others, but to myself that I wasn't, you know, that I mm-hmm. that I could that I could be strong. Wow. Um, and that was that kind of like went back to it. Yeah. That's, that runs deep, you know. Yeah. Um, so what did you decide at the end? So I went to I I went back to so I after, after I was there for about seven or eight weeks, um, and then I went to uh, a regular a regular infantry battalion in Golani the the, the Golani Shloshesrei which is the thirteenth battalion, um, and from there I served um, on the Gaza border and Hebron, the Egyptian border uh, in the north, had an incredible incredible uh, service. And that, that really kind of like closed the circle off for me because when I got there, it was like, oh, I'm going from an elite unit to a regular unit. Um, but what you don't realize is that these guys put in just as much work as the, uh, as the elite units, just in a different way. You know, you're, you're barely sleeping. You're, 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 when, you're, when you're on duty, you're guarding. You know, you're, you're really, really, really grinding it out. Um, Can you describe to me like a little bit of what your experience of grinding it out looked like? Sure, sure. So, I mean, if you were... Um, if I was on the on, on the Gaza border, it would be a mixture of uh, static posts and um, like on the border, watching to see if, if there are any, any infiltrations, and then doing um, seers, which were like uh, uh, patrols where you'd go in like a two or three car uh, convoy with like a, you know a heavy, heavy machine gunner, and you were kind of you were and we patrol the border, making sure uh, that there was no there were no infiltrations, and if there was if there were, if like an alarm would go off because something would touch the gate. Um, you go, you check on that, you make sure everything is good and you're just basically keeping the, um, the, the calm on the border. Does that mean that like 99% of the time you're just sitting there and watching and waiting and looking? Yes. Most, it's, most of it is pre- preventative. It's entirely like the, the idea is that for be, to be preventative. And if anybody does infiltrate through, you're, you'll be the first line of defense. Right. Um, instead of the, uh, communities that live there. Okay. Was there anything mentally difficult about that? No. No, I found uh, I found that the second I got to to the regular dude, it 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 was really really easy at that point. 
Uh, and even even like feats, like uh, even even physical physical uh, exertion was like some of the some of the exercises that we did were even harder than than what I had done previously. But they were even they were easier because they lacked the uh, the, the the emotional like um, uh, weight yeah. that I had when I was in training, which was like they're always they're always pressing you and pushing you in here. Um, it was it was it was it was harder physically, but easier mentally. And I had no 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 problem doing it because there was no uh, what if. You know, they're they're always they always kept you on your toes. Um, like you didn't need to be in fight or flight. Mode. Fight or flight, exactly. I was not in fight or flight, and I, I could just be a beast. You know, I could just carry. I can move, um, and that was uh, that was a lot easier. Gotcha. Um, can you take us into the next stage? Like um, you said, the next the first time you really went to a therapist was after the army. It was after the army, exactly. So I, I'd finished, and I realized that I was uh, that I was carrying carrying you know, something around with me. When did um, you realize, like at what point? Was it, did it have anything to do with the time where? No, I mean, I think in, in the army, um, I realized I, there, there was like, I couldn't, he had a very, very hard time uh, just being vulnerable. And even, even with my guys and my team, it took me about a year until I was like good friends with all of them. Um, wow. And I remember leaving like my officer before he like finished his time, like towards the end of our, of our, of our, of our service, he was like, he was like congratulating me that I did end up breaking barriers and hanging out with these guys and becoming friends with the guys in the unit. Um, Cause he was like, I was worried about you not, you know, not, 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 not getting in uh, with these guys. So that was, uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was definitely something that I realized was, uh, was, was, was a barrier and was definitely hampering, uh, hampering my life. So how did you end up? You know, bonding with them despite your challenge through through training, through hardships, really. Like uh, I was like a trial through fire. You know, we did we did like uh, I got there when I, when I got to the unit, we did six months of uh, of duty. So we were on the Egyptian and, and Gaza border, three months apiece, and then we did a three month uh, intensive winter training, which was like it was uh, November, December, January, and it was super super tough. Uh, we, we were on, we were on like a base way up in the Golan, freezing cold. Um, and it was, yeah, every, every week was super, super, every week was tough and we bonded by, by really everybody just chipping in and, and, and pushing in and, um, getting through that. And I, I just remember like the first week, you know, there were some guys who were chipping in, some guys who weren't, and you know, there's a bunch, everybody, we were all fighting amongst ourselves. And then by the end, um, you know, it came time to do something like, let's say, you know, carry a stretcher for five kilometers or whatever it was. Uh, and it was just like, okay, cool. You know, we just pick it up and move. Um, and we got through it. You know, it was like through, through the hardships, through the, through the, through the, through the struggles, we, uh, we all bonded together and came, you know, th there was also a level of respect that they had for me after that. Um, I think I proved myself. Mm. Whereas before, before they didn't know, they didn't really know who I was like, oh, this guy came from this unit. He thinks he's something. Um, and then through that, I was able to, to, to really kind of like earn their respect. So the phys your physical fitness, yeah, is what earned you your respect. Yes. What? Um, how did you begin your journey of looking for a therapist? Like, how did you even find the first? So I I actually asked. Um, I had a teacher in CRC who was a therapist. Um, who was, was a licensed therapist? Yeah, Malkin, exactly. I remember him. Yeah. And uh, I was looking. I wanted to do NLP at the time. I think that was something that really appealed to me. That's that neurolinguistic programming. Exactly. Um, Can you tell us just about it? If you sure, sure. So I did a few sessions. Uh, it was it was it was nice, um, but it wasn't. It was it was. It just kind of like uh, for me, it kind of like scratched the surface, and I was like, I need, I need something to kick the door down. 
this is like way, way too soft for me. Mm, and my okay. brain, my, yeah, it was, I was, it was just very easy for me to kind of like give enough to make him happy that I was actually like putting the work in, but not enough for me to actually really open up and, and, and change. And, and change, exactly. Wow. It was super, yeah, super soft. So, um, but then you already have a conclusion, it seems so, tell me, um, that I could grow. Yeah. And the way I am right now, I, I'm not okay with it. And I'm going to find the person that's going to help me break through, yes. break free. Exactly. Um, and I, it's, I, I, did a, I did a few sessions, then I kind of stopped. Um, and it wasn't until a few years later that I picked it back up. Uh, about a year later is when my, my father passed away. Um, yeah, so yeah, t- t- January 2014. So I finished the army in November 2012. I was in Israel for eight months, then South America for seven months afterwards. Um, then I came home in the middle of my trip because my father was sick. Um, and then my father passed away, yeah, January, 2014. So at that point, like all the, I guess, ideas that I had about myself were kind of like reinforced. That was like, that was the, the, the end end of it for me. I remember just like my father passed away and, and the, the, like, it was just a black cloud over my, over my head. I remember getting up every day, like really getting up in the morning, uh, waking up getting out of bed and being like, I have no parents. Like a realization every day. Hmm. Um, And I lived with that for about a year. Um, Two years, actually. And What do you tell yourself after you say that? I would kind of just like, okay, you know, get up and, and just get moving. I was like this. I remember just saying like, like life has nothing on me. Like I, I got this. I knew that I knew Don't that feel, I, uh, did you say these words? I know I'm just, it's just coming up for me. Yeah. So tell me like, don't feel, get up and go. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't feel uh, at all. I, 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 I forgot to mention this, but it was maybe when I was in my first year of, of high school in ninth grade that I kind of made a pact with myself that I wasn't going to feel anymore. Um, it was after my grandmother passed away, and I was just like, oh, like this is like a like a yearly occurrence. Somebody, you know, somebody in my family passes away. I was just like, ugh, I had enough of this. Um, and I just said, I remember, I remember like actually laying down, crying a little bit, and then just saying, uh, I'm not gonna cry anymore. Uh, just I will not cry, and that was the end of it. I was like, I'm I'm done. Um, there's no need to it, no need to cry. Men don't cry. Um, I just need to be strong, and that's it. And it, that I, that was it was like a it was like a real it was, it was it wasn't just like a thought it was a declaration like I will like I declared it and 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 it was so and I lived with that for for about ten years so yeah it was like a, it was like it was like I was living in a haze really um, get up in the morning it was just really really dark mentally it happened to be winter also in New York which which didn't help um, but yeah it was just like a real real. Uh, just survival, really, just getting through the day. Uh, it, at times, it, it almost felt like there was um, like just a weight on my brain that I was kind of balancing around. That if I didn't balance it properly, it would like uh, some like it would fall and I would I would snap. Hmm. Um, yeah, I just remember being on edge a lot. What do you mean by being on edge? Yeah, the, the, like if I, I, I get angry quickly, I was you know um, I'd snap. I didn't, yeah, like I'd be calm and then like it would just, just build like the anger or whatever it is would build up and it would just explode. I couldn't, I couldn't process things properly. There was no, there was no process. 
Um, yeah, and then, yeah, that was what. So by then you were already working? Yeah, I was working at the time as a salesman. Um, and I was able to work, but I couldn't work for, 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 for too long. Like, I remember I put in a year of work and I was just like, I, I, I got to get out of here. Um, um, if I stay, if, if, I, if I stick around any longer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my, you know, lose my mind. Um, and I, I remember I, I left and I went back to, to South America for about six months. I lived in a small little uh, beach town, just went surfing. Yeah, so you went back, meaning you were already in South, Af- South America from before? Yeah, after the army, I did a seven month. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I did a seven month trip after the army. And then I went back a year after my father passed away um, for another six months. It was just kind of like uh, I needed a break, wanted to get away. Um, and that also helped me kind of like, that was like a band-aid. It kind of helped me reset, let go uh, a little bit, but I still, I knew that there was, there was something that was, that was holding me back. Um, mm-hmm. A year later, a friend of mine told me about a, uh, a workshop, uh, a, a self-development workshop to go to, which I went to. And um, I remember this is like probably one of the, one of the most impactful, like, moments uh are like of my life at one point they were like if you they were they were talking about relationship your relationship with your parents and um you know holding on to uh, animosity or grudges or or anything like that uh, resentments and they were like okay if you haven't if you haven't called your parents yet at this point go ahead and go call your parents now and and and, and deal with them and then um we work through the resentments. Yeah, if they, at, at this point, this was like a, they, we already like. Uh, I'll, I'll get to, to 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 the point they were making about how you how, how you view your parents, but yeah, they were like, if you haven't, if you had, because they were the whole like the the whole day they were talking about how we how we see our parents and how how that relates to to the way we we view ourselves and the world, um, and they said, yeah, if you haven't spoken to your parents yet, go call them now. And then she said, and then they said, if you, if you, if you have, if you're, if your parents are deceased, you can write them a letter. And that, I think that was the first time I actually, it was like a light bulb went over my head. I was like, wow, I can actually re- relate and, 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 and connect to my parents as, uh, as individuals, as human beings, rather than these ideas. Oh my God. I'm just thinking about how many years went by from when you lost your mom. Like, yeah. Did you ever communicate with her? No, never. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, so that was like, yeah, 23 years later. And I, cause my mother was just an idea. I don't remember her as a kid. Like I, I was three when she passed away, but I have no, I have no memory of her. Um, and so she was just this idea and I was like, wow, well, you know, I can actually have the ability if I want to, to communicate with her. And I sat down, I remember I was like in the hallway and I was, it, 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 it was, the break was exactly 30 minutes and it took me 30 minutes to write two letters. Uh, one, one first to, uh, to my mother and the other one to my, uh, to my father. Should I read, do you want me to read them out actually? Yeah. Yeah. I can, I have them here on my phone. Yes. Um, absolutely. I can re- I can read it out. Um, dear Ma, thank you for giving me the gift of life. I appreciate all the love you gave me as a child and for helping shape me into the man I am today. I know you passed away at a young age and we didn't get to spend a lot of time together but I love you all the same. I know you didn't choose to pass when you did, and if it was up to you, you would have chosen to stay with us longer. When I'm going through a hard time, I reach out to you, and I know you hear me. I know you are watching over and protecting me. 
I'm complete knowing you are in a better place and that you are well represented down here. I love and miss you every day. Your loving son, Schneer. Dear Ta, thank you for the gift of life. I know that growing up it was hard for all of us and you did the best you could to raise us to be strong and loving. All the while teaching us the importance of giving to others and pushing forward no matter what challenge we faced. I wish that I would have shared more of my life with you while I had the chance. I didn't appreciate the fact that you never spoke about Ma and it was almost like she never existed. But I know it was just a coping mechanism and that was how you dealt with her, with her loss. I will always love and admire you. Thank you for helping make me the man I am today. I know you're always watching over me. Your loving son, Schneer. I was, I remember just bawling my eyes out. I remember just sitting there, I'd like, like a baby, just crying and snot coming out of my nose, um, just sitting there on the side. And it was just like incredible. I was like, wow, I can actually speak to my parents as, um, as human beings rather than, rather than ideas. Um, how did that um, trigger, did that trigger at all this idea of like not letting, like being a fear, a fear of abandonment again? So they, I mean, when, when they were, when they were talking about parents, they said, okay, um, who here is under the age of, um, I think it was 21 or 23. Um, so whoever was there that was under that age, uh, raised their hand. They said, okay, come up, come up to the front, uh, the front of the room. And they did. And um, they're like, okay, these are your parents uh, at, at the age that they had you. And, and then he turned to, to the people on the stage and he asked them, do you have your life together? And they were like, no. And he's like, do you think your parents had their life together when they had you? You think they had the answers to everything? You know, we placed this. Um, oh, that's a very aggressive therapeutic pr um, process. Sure, sure, but it 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 it, uh, it was a, it was a it was a paradigm shift. It was like, wow, we have these these in incredible and standards for our parents that that aren't you know that aren't realistic. Like the ex the expectation that they have it all figured it out and um, that they have all the answers uh, and that they're going to get everything perfectly when they're just human beings. And uh, they do the best they can, but they're they they're, they're limited just just like us. And they're they're dealing with their own their own healing and their own traumas. Yeah. So you were in the yes, yeah, so I was hallway. I was in the hallway, just um, bawling, crying, and um, I realized that the, the if I if the, there were things that I wanted to say for a very long time that I. Didn't, either didn't have the language to say it or didn't have the ability to say it. And, and, I, and I said, if I, if I was going to say it, now would be the time. So realizing that I was angry at my mother for, for, for passing away or leaving, as I saw it as a kid, I, I wrote and I said, dear ma, um, uh, and I apologize. I said, I'm sorry for being upset that you um, for being angry at you for for for." For, for passing away when I was three. Um, I know you didn't have um, any choice in the matter. I know that if you did, you wouldn't have chosen to, uh, to pass away when you did, obviously. Um, and, you know, th I thanked her for, for bringing me into this world and for helping make me to the person that I am today. And then I turned to my father and I said, dear Ta, thank you. You know, I apologize for holding resentments and anger against you for most of my life. Um, and the, something that, that had bothered me growing up was that uh, my father never spoke about my mother. 
and I, and I said I understand that you know you had your you you were de- you were dealing with your own healing at the time, and that's why you didn't you didn't speak about her. Um, and thank you for for bringing me into this world, and thank you for for helping make me into the man that I am today. And I know that you're both uh, looking down and watching over me. Um, the day after the the day after this um, this workshop, I I drove to to the cemetery, and I went to each of their graves, and I read the letter the letter that I wrote to each of them individually. And alone, alone, yeah. And for me, it was like a closing of a chapter because I I didn't realize up until then how I was carrying them around with me, and how big of a weight that was uh, on my shoulders. And when I went there, I, I remember first I went to uh, my mother, and I really I remember I got got down got down on my knees crying, and I read it to her. I was just bawling, bawling, bawling. And I said, uh, um, "Thank you, but I'm leaving you here. I'm burying you here, and I'm I'm, I'm not carrying you around with me anymore." And then I went to my father, and I read him the letter, and I said the same thing. I said, "Thank you, but I'm burying you here. I'm not carrying you around with me anymore." Um. And I got back into my car and I started driving back to uh, to Crown Heights. And if I, I, I actually felt like I was flying, like I legitly was flying. Like the weight that I didn't know that I was carrying around with me was gone. It was like I I, I took a mountain off my back. Um, and there's there's not. I would remember just like driving home crying as like the the weight just kind of like crumbled. And fell off, and and I was weightless. But why would you, like, wh- why use that type of language? Or like, the question that comes up t- for me is like, what does "I'm leaving you here"? I'm not going to think about you anymore. Like, isn't that? So I I I, 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 didn't, I imagine I didn't, that it's not just. Yeah, obviously you're gonna still think about them. It's just not gonna be. It's just gonna be different, right? Yeah. So I wasn't. I I I don't think I said I'm not gonna think about you anymore. Um, I said, I'm leaving you here and I'm not carrying you around with me anymore. Mm. Um, there's a distinction there. Um, the difference between uh, thinking about you and going, okay, and being with it and carrying you around as a weight, as a, as a burden, um, is, a, is a very big difference. And, and, you know, obviously I honor and respect my parents um, all the time, but I don't, I don't think of them uh, all the time in a way of like, oh my God, this is like, uh, this is who I am. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm an orphan or this is who I am. Uh, um, I lost, I lost both my parents at the age of 20, 23, you know? Um, and that's what it used to be. I remember before I'd go out, the, the, I'd have these thoughts in my head, like, um, what if I, what if I meet this girl? And she says, then she asks me what my parents do. Um, what do I say? And I used to come up with these like crafty, uh, you know, uh, stories, um, or like the responses. Cause to me, that was like the biggest fear. It was like a big, it was a, uh, I was very, very, um, subconscious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that I wasn't, I said, cool, this is what it is. You know, I'm, I'm complete with it. Um, I'm not, I'm not my, my, my lost parents. I am me, you know, I'm, I'm I am who I declare myself to be. And that settled that for me. We. Was that like what, probably most, one of the most significant? Absolutely, of your life? one of the one of the most significant and most significant uh, and impactful moments of my life, one hundred percent. And and moving forward from there, um, something that I do a lot, and um, 
you know, I, I try to do it every day as a daily, as a daily exercise is really choosing my life as it is. And what I mean by that is, um, I used to like have these ideas like, oh, maybe if this, if this would have happened, if that would happen, I wish it would have been this way. Um, you know, I wish this didn't, this wish this, wish this didn't happen. And what that did is it created a disconnect because I wasn't choosing my life as it was. Um, and in, so there was like this, this is my history and there's nothing I can do about that. And exactly. therefore I'm doomed. So because yeah. I have this history, therefore my future has to be so. Yes, exactly. Uh, the, the predictable, predictable future was, was going to be, you know, that, and, uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned this earlier, but it, it, I, yeah, I, I saw myself as, as damaged, really, really, um, damaged, permanently damaged. Um, I was like, oh, like I have this mountain that I could, a mountain to climb that I'll never be able to reach the top of. Um, and um, after this, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. You know, it really, I really got that I'm, I'm not my circumstances. Um, and, that, and that goes for, for all things. If, even if I'm extremely successful, I'm still not my circumstances. Who I am has, has nothing to do with my current circumstances um, because there's a, there's, a, there's a distinction there. So who I am seems to be like, based on whatever choices I make today. Yes, exactly. You make it sound so simple. Like how does somebody begin that process? Um, so, I mean, to start, the, the, the start of that is really uh, acceptance and choice uh, and understanding that with choice comes, um, comes power. And what I mean by that is when, when you take full responsibility for your life, complete and utter responsibility for your life in all aspects, um, you're not, I'm, I'm not a victim of anything. Right. I remember people would be like, oh, it's so amazing that, you know, it's, 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 it's so, it's so, it's, it's so sad that you, what you went through, I know you're, you're, you're such a, such a strong survivor. And I'd be like, no, I'm not, I'm not a survivor of anything. Uh, I'm not a victim. You know, I'm not a victim of losing my parents, I'm not a victim of, of, of anything that I've been through. Um, these things happen, but who I am has nothing to do with what I've been through. And um, I realized that uh, I, I used to relate to myself as my, as my circumstances, I used to relate to myself as, um, as my history, uh, and I'm, I'm neither. So it was through that, through, through, through saying, okay, I have complete ownership of my, of my life. I take complete ownership of my life uh, and every aspect of it. And I choose, I choose every aspect of my life. So it's getting up every day and saying, hey, I choose my life exactly the way it is for everything that it has. So you're re-choosing. So you, you take a stock of like, okay, what are the facts of my life today? Yes. Um, I am so-and-so, I live here, this is what I do, this is what I love, and mm -hmm. I'm going to re-choose it. Yes. Or I'm going to say, you know what, this, this doesn't serve me, I want to try that, I want to bring something so, new in. Yeah, so to that, to, to, to that there's, there's nothing wrong with having uh, goals and wanting to, wanting to accomplish or, or, or get things done that you don't have today. That's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is choosing things exactly the way they are right now. So as in, let's say I, I want to, I have a goal that I want to do. I want to reach a certain goal. I want to make a certain amount of money. I want to, uh, uh, I want to, you know, race in a certain race. I want to, you know, uh, be able to do a certain feat, et cetera. Um, so these are goals that I'm setting. That has nothing to do with where I'm sitting currently at this exact moment. So when I say I'm choosing my life exactly the way it is, I'm sitting here right now and I choose my life exactly the way it is, right? Um, with everything, everything that it is, I may have. It sounds I like have. a version of like really believing in the Shkafa practice. Sure. Meaning, I could fight the reality, or I can acknowledge that this is what it is, 
and accept it. And by accepting it, the choice is to accept it. So I'm choosing my life. Exactly. And, and with that comes power. Because at that point, you're, not, you're no longer a victim of anything. Because uh, if you're a victim of your, of your circumstances, you're a victim of what you went through, it would be like, oh, this, this happened to me. I went through this. Mm, I'm powerless. Uh, I'm powerless, exactly. There's nothing happens. I can do about it. It just happened, and, then, and, I, and, and now I have no, have no choice but to be, but to be a victim. Mm. Um, and is this the mindset? The, I wonder what this mindset and this practice contributed to the, the things, that, the, the, those big accomplishments, like... What did you do? Triathlon? Yeah. So I've done I've done six triathlons, two half distance Ironmans. Oh I actually had a full had a full Ironman scheduled for for April, uh, but it got canceled because of because uh, of COVID. I trained five and a half months for it and uh, <laughs> got canceled like three weeks before. Um, oh that would have been fun. That was like a, been like a 13, 14 hour race. Um, the half Ironmans were like six six and a half hours. Um, so how do you, what's the connection in between accomplishing all those things and so for me, this it's a, morning it, routine? It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's constantly challenging myself and, and, and pushing, pushing the envelope. Um, again, I don't relate to myself as a, as, as a, as a triathlete or, or whatever. These are accomplishments that I enjoy. But uh, even if I couldn't finish these races, I wouldn't be like I'm a failure or I'm not a, I'm not a you know, whatever. I, I like to, I like to, 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 to set goals that, that are at the time bigger than me, things that I can't accomplish at the time that I set them. So are you setting them in that morning routine? The, I mean, if I'm, if, if, if I'm, if I'm currently training for something, yeah, absolutely. But if, what I'm, okay, so in the morning routine, choosing, choosing my life exactly what that is. So if I'm, if I say, hey, you know what, um, I want to, I want to build uh, a certain type of business or something like that. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to put a certain amount of money in the bank. So today I'm not there, but I'm, I'm working towards it. So I sit there and I choose. I say, today I choose my life exactly what it is with the bank balance that I have today. I'm choosing it exactly as it is with the goal that I'm going, where I'm going to be. But I, I actually get to do that because I'm choosing rather than being, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm powerless. I'm, I'm uh, not where I want to be. I'm not where I should mm. be. Um, you Just know, like th- I this could choose to me. my reality. I could choose to take steps of- Exactly. A little bit stretching my capacity. In. Exactly. Exactly. Beautiful. And um, is there any last messages you'd want to like share with the listeners? I mean, there's many different aspects that we covered. Is there any like parting message that you would like to share? Sure. Um, I mean, you're 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 bigger than your circumstances, whatever they may be, um, and nothing is beyond reach. Really, and I don't mean this in, to say this in like a cliche way, like oh, you can do whatever you want, anything is possible. But the reality is that uh, whatever hole you find yourself in, you can always you can always dig a way out of. Um, How does somebody begin that? By by choosing. By choosing by by choosing the re- the, the reality exactly as it is. Um, comes back to really, really every day, choosing your life exactly the way it is. Um, so that's a conclusion you've come to. But I wonder, like, what got you to even be willing to to go to one of these, you know, workshops and 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 with the open mind that it might change your life. Like, what got you to be willing to try it? I I just I just I I, I was primed for a change. I, I just didn't, I wasn't willing to 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 go through life um, carrying that around with me. I knew mm-hmm. I knew that there was there was something I couldn't see that was that was holding me back. And I couldn't identify it. And I knew that if I, I went to somebody that, that actually could identify it, um, they can make the difference for me. 
um, which again goes back to to like wanting to carry it on my own. It it, it required me to put my trust in others wow. to um, to be able to uh, to make that difference and to and to and to move forward from there. That's so powerful. Thank you, Schneer. Absolutely. I really, really, really appreciate what you had shared with us today, and uh, wishing you great success. And um, yeah, is there any way that um, if anybody has questions about this, is there any way that they can get in touch with you? Sure. Learn from you more. Um, it, like, yeah, you you can put them in contact with me. I'd be more than happy to to speak to anybody who would like to. Um, and if anybody feels that they're, you know, I can make a difference for them in their life, I'd be more than happy to speak to them, um, share my experience, or uh, or help in any way that I can. Beautiful. God bless you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you much. Thank you for listening. Please share your feedback by emailing us at podcast at nashamas.org. We hope you'll be back for the next episode of the Nishamas Podcast. This is Moshe Khanen wishing you a healthy and a meaningful day.